if you look at evolution of humans as a species, we we've never you know has been born to die or sorry to fly or to drive cars, but nevertheless, you know, I can travel with a speed of hundred miles uh, per hour, or I can fly, you know, if I'm on a plane. So it doesn't really mean that we shouldn't fight that. And 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 the problem of aging is that after we turn fifty, our chances to get age-related diseases, and I can mention like four of them, uh, they're responsible for 90% of deaths after age of 50, uh, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and neurogenerative diseases, uh, will increase exponentially. And this is exactly what I want to fight, because the quality of our lives, specifically in the last 10 or 20 years of the average lifespan today, is decreasing. And that's, that's the whole point of my work, to improve not only the quantity of our years, but the quality of these uh, years. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence, a special episode. We are joined today by uh, Sergey Young. Sergey, you are the you are the author of the new book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young, and we are excited to talk to you about it. A uh, little bit of context about you: you are the founder of the Longevity Vision Fund, which invests in companies doing work in artificial intelligence, organ regeneration, genetic editing, pharmaceutical drug discovery precision medicine, personal diagnostics, and other fields central to the mission of living longer and healthier than ever before. Thank you so much for giving us some time today. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here with you today. We are excited to have you. Congratulations on the book. Uh, right before recording, you told us it was a bestseller, uh, Wall Street Journal, as well as many other lists. So congratulations on that. It is out now. So uh, folks, if you like this conversation, do go find it. It's called The Science and Technology of Growing Young. I wanted to start the conversation uh, to give to give everybody at least enough context to what you do, what the book is about, to, to be able to have a, a fun conversation. And so I think the most logical first big question, and I know it's a big question and you answer, you, you wrote a whole book about it, is this idea of what you call the longevity revolution. And you say in the book, we're staring down the barrel of a coming scientific paradigm shift, the longevity revolution, the commonly accepted uh, expectation that all life is finite and that the average human life is limited to 80 or 90 years stands ripe and ready to be overturned by scientific and te technological advancements. So that's, that's very big. But if you could give us maybe the very big picture high level sense of what does this paradigm mean? Like, what are you actually talking about when you say this? So that we can kind of get into maybe some of the more specific, some, some of the fun stuff that you've got in the book. Okay, perfect. So we live in a very unique moment of time in, in, a, in a whole history of humanity. Finally, we'll have enough scientific discoveries and combination with technological breakthroughs to to break the this, this sound barrier of the maximum lifespan on Earth, which is currently 122 years. And it also means that if you look at the average lifespan today, it's anywhere between 75 and 85 years, depending on the country you look at. Um, this number going to be changed completely. We, we're talking about living to 100, to 120 healthy and happy years. And 
with some of the technologies which will be available to us in the next 10, 20 years from now, within the near horizon of longevity innovation, this is how I call it in the book, um, we're going to live either longer or radically longer. And that's the whole notion of the book. It's time to take back control of our health, of our life strategy, with the understanding that it's not going to be about 75, 85 years. It's going to be a much, much longer journey. So that's, that's the whole idea. And then, and then when we talk about technologies, three most exciting ones are gene editing and gene therapy. Second is longevity in the pill. I'm talking about completely new class of drugs that we're going to see on the market in the next 10 years uh, from now, which will focus on aging and its core rather than on any particular disease. And third is organ regeneration, our ability to replace organs inside our body, similar to what we do with old cars while trying to extend its resource. Well, it's, um, so super excited to have this conversation. I find this stuff fascinating. It's a really nice blend between what we do every day and what kind of sounds like science fiction, honestly. It is. <laughs> it, um, so, sir, maybe so. I, I, maybe you can let's just zoom out a little bit. What? Because I know this might sound like a, a rhetorical question, but what is aging? Because right now, as you mentioned in the book, people don't die from aging. There is no classification for um, you can't die for cause of death old age. It sounds like you used to be able to do that. I feel like I used to say that about old relatives. But now it's always like some, they have to label it as some sort of disease. So if it's, if it's not something you can die from, what is it? And I guess the next question would be, what causes it? Um, I know there's been a lot of debate about this over the years, whether it's um, oxygen you know, degradation, whether it's radiation or it's um, telomeres, or there's a lot of different thoughts on where this thing comes from. I'd love to hear where we are today in, in terms of the, the understanding of aging. Great. Um, great questions, uh, one by one. Aging is accumulation of um, different processes and degradation and deterioration processes inside your body, which is happening on, on very different levels, on the cellular level, on the organ level, on, even on your DNA level, on genetic level. It usually starts around 40 or 45 years for the good evolutionary reason, because if you think about human life from the perspective of mother nature, we all have been born to um, kind of spend first 15, 20 years of our life to grow to adult stage, uh, fulfill our reproductive agenda, have kids, then take care of kids and you know, make sure they also adults and you know, can take care of their reproductive agenda as well. And then, Mother Nature uh, doesn't really need us uh, from the age of anywhere between 35 and 44. So the tool that has been created is a um, number of processes start uh, within our body and a different system of our body, which you know, accumulates damage on this different level. And as a result of that, uh, we obviously die like 20, 30, 40 years later. Now, that's the evolutionary explanation of what is happening uh, with us. Having said that, uh, if you look at evolution of humans as a species, we, we've never you know, has been born to die. 
or sorry, to fly or to drive cars. But nevertheless, you know, I can travel with a speed of 100 miles uh, per hour or I can fly, you know, if I'm on a plane. So it doesn't really mean that we shouldn't fight that. And, and, and the problem of aging is that after we turn 50, our chances to get age-related diseases, and I can mention like four of them, uh, they're responsible for 90% of deaths after age of 50, uh, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and neurogenerative diseases, uh, will increase exponentially. And this is exactly what I want to fight because the quality of our lives, specifically in the last 10 or 20 years of the average lifespan today, is decreasing. And that's, that's the whole point of my work to improve not only the quantity of our years, but the quality of these uh, years. So that's, that's the definition of aging. Obviously, <clears throat> like you wouldn't be able to find an agreement in academic circles to, you know, to, to this you know, simple question. Um, so some, uh, some scientists, uh, they do think that aging starts from the first day on earth for all of us, but like the common view is, it's actually starts somewhere around 40, 45 years. And, and, uh, hopefully, uh, some of us can relate to that. You know, I'm 49 and you know, I can tell you that I, I can, you know, sense that happening in my body and through the different biomarkers, uh, but also through, you know, the way I look, the way I, the way I feel, my level of energy, starting from the age of somewhere around 40 or 45. So then, uh, do we understand why we age? And the short answer is no. In fact, we were doing a number of chapters for this book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. And in the, in the course of 40 to 50 pages to describe different theories of aging. You know, you know what? Then we cut this part from the book because there's no agreement like and there's no unified theory of aging by we age but i think the constructive takeaway from this is that there's no silver bullet there's no one single cause of aging and that's why the framework which is used today by science and by entrepreneurs called nine hallmarks of aging it's actually 10 one was recently added looking at the root cause of different aging processes inside our body. So in a very simple terms, if we, we, we ever will find the answer to aging and how we will fight that, it's going to be always a combination of the things, not one particular intervention, not one particular drug or one particular technology. Uh, so that's, that's the current state of theories of aging. I know a lot of scientists who work on trying to define this unified theory. But again, it's, it's very likely to be a combination of a lot of different things happening in our body. So then finally, like on what level is aging processes start and, and happening in our body? And uh, I just want to mention for you not to go through all kind of nine hallmarks of aging. You can look at the book. Um, to go through them. You know, obviously we all know that uh, our genes and our genetic setup is important. So if you look at these studies, 30 to 40% of our longevity or healthy longevity is predetermined by our genes. We already know in the course of last 10 years, we already discovered all 3000 genes in our DNA, which are responsible for longer and healthier living. In fact, uh, they work in much better in the bodies and in, in DNAs of people whom we call centenarians, people who live to at least 100, 
healthy and happy years. So that's that's genetic level. Then these genes need to manifest itself, need to work in certain ways, send signals to different systems of the body. They do it through so-called epigenetic mechanism. It's almost like an interface between our genes and different parts of our body. And this is where epigenetic, the different uh, proteins, when help genes to express, this, uh, express uh, themselves, this is where it works. Um, then um, it, we, you've heard probably about telomeres, this protective cups uh, on our, um, um, on our uh, DNAs. Uh, which with the age and with the number of divisions of the cells, you know, uh, uh, worn, basically like worn out and uh, become dysfunctional. So that's one of the ideas of, um, uh, uh, yes, one of the ideas behind uh, telomere theory of aging. And I, and I can go on and on. It is about stem cells. It, it, it is about mitochondria, uh, this, you know, small power plants inside our cells. So human biology is probably the most complex thing I've ever seen in my life. And I have three degrees, right? And I'm an investor for 20 years. And well, that's why every time, you know, someone is telling me like, Sergio, can you just tell me in 30 seconds what I need to do to live longer? <laughs> I'm always confused, but that's, that's a great learning for that all was, of us. That was gonna be our next question. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, maybe, um, cause that's, that, that took a, for you, probably didn't take a very deep dive, but for our listeners, that might have been, um, um, you know, we're talking about genetics, epigenetics, stem cells, mitochondria, that might have been a, a leap. Maybe if we um, just paint a picture really quickly of what it is we're talking about and we kind of like pull these out a little bit. And I love the way, I just love the way you start off this book because it's, uh, it, it, it's creating this kind of like picture in science fiction. So uh, I'm just going to read it for our readers So because this is kind of fun. It's Picture yourself on the occasion of your 200th birthday. You wake up in your hermetically sealed, temperature and oxygen optimized bedroom. You've slept the precise amount of time your body requires. While you slept, nanorobots in your bloodstream identified injuries, made repairs, and delivered nutrients, vitamins, and medicines via microchips embedded throughout your body. A series of internal and external diagnostic devices ran a complete scan compared the data to that of the entire global population and made micro adjustments to your daily molecular feed accordingly. All of your damaged tissues and cells were repaired so that you woke up exactly as healthy as you were 150 years ago. You get out of bed, walk to the bathroom, pausing a moment to view yourself in the mirror. You smile proudly. Although it's your 200th birthday, you don't look a day over 25. There's good reason for that. Biologically, you're not. You chose to reverse your biological age back to 25, and now you enjoy the energy, health, and beauty of being 25 years of your 25-year-old body alongside the experience and wisdom of two centuries on Earth. So I love that because it answers the question of: wait a minute. As you said, if decrepitude starts setting you at 40 to 45, and by the way, I'm 44, so you eyes wide open, ears perked up right now. Um, if that's the case, I think people are envisioning, um, they're envisioning the oldest person they know, the person that's 94 yeah. years old and they're hunched over, all wrinkled, crap, and they're like, I don't want another 100 years of that. Yeah. But that's not what you're talking about. So if it truly is about taking control of your life 
and quality of life, that's a big paradigm shift for a lot of people to kind of grasp is like, wait a minute. It's not just, it's not just getting to 80 and then continuing to be on earth longer. You're actually talking about reversing aging. How in the world is that possible? Yeah, so basically, coming back to my earlier um, story about 3,000 longevity genes in our body, if we will find a way, and we already have a number of technologies which help us to modify our genetic setup or to help you know, particular genes in our DNA, DNA to express themselves, to work harder and more visible in, inside our body, well, that's the opportunity for us to reverse aging processes because everything we've done on earth today until, again, until today through the whole history, it was just elimination of early death. That's why we've been increasing the average lifespan on earth from 3,500 years ago to 70, 75 today. And it was only just moving the average by avoiding early death. Like the maximum lifespan was always around 120 years through the whole history of humanity. So, and I, I, I agree with you, Ben. The, the, the problem with perception of longevity and, and age reversal is people think, you know, we're going to help them to extend the last five to 10 years of their life. While if you look at the experiment, which is currently we're trying to do in the labs uh, or in the startups that we're funding, they are looking at reversing aging processes inside our bodies. And that's extremely important. This is a fundamental shift. We haven't seen this before. Well, moreover, we're still at early stage of development of these technologies. And this is where Longevity Vision Fund, my fund, and many other investors are trying to make a change. So they're going to be available to us in the next 10, 20 years. But some of them, all we can use uh, today, like... Uh, well, think about gene therapy and gene editing. 30 years ago, it took U.S. 13 years and $3 billion to sequence human genome. Right now, we can do it in the lab for a few hours, and it's $200. In fact, well, 30 years ago, gene editing, gene therapy has been available to hand, literally a handful of people who had severe genetic disease and were about to die. They had nothing to lose on this planet. Today, we're all participating in an experiment. I do hope it's positive experiment of gene therapy because mRNA vaccines like Moderna is the outcome of gene therapy. And this is partly uh, the reason why we've been so fast in terms of respond, uh, response to COVID. If COVID would happen 20, 40, 60 years ago, uh, we would see just completely different situation on this planet. And the number of deaths would be exponentially higher. So that's, this is just how many things that we've done in the last 20 to 30 years. And more will come uh, in the next 10 to uh, 20 years. And then and this is before we talk about organ regeneration or use of artificial intelligence for early diagnostic of cancer. Cancer of, is not case of death anymore. And this is great. Like 20, 40 years ago, people were delaying their date of cancer screening because if they knew they have cancer, uh, they have another, what, six to 12 months to survive on this planet. Right now, if you've been really mindful, if you do your annual health screening very thoroughly, thoroughly and you, you invest in that, uh, 
you're and you catch cancer at early stage, your recovery rates are up to ninety, up to hundred percent in in some of the cancer types. So this um, gene editing, gene therapy, playing with the human genome from, as you started off before, evolution has been set up as for a certain way, and now we're hacking into that. At some level, some might say we're playing God. Where does this fall on the, obviously everyone has their different perspective on this, but what's your perspective on um, the ethics of doing this, the morality side of it? Yeah, that, a great question. And in fact, is the final chapter of the book called Morality of Immortality is dedicated to the ethical side of not only genetic, but you know, all of these life extension technologies. So to my surprise, when I started to, to work more in, in longevity field, um, what I discovered, like 60 to 80% of the people, depending on the country, uh, if they had a choice to extend their lifespan, they would say no. And it was like really surprising for me. You can see I'm like super positive person, probably too optimistic. And I always need a balance from uh, skeptics. Uh, but uh, the problem is, is we have created technologies to extend our life. But we haven't created life that we want to extend. So I do believe that in 10, 20 years from now, the biggest obstacles to life extension is not going to be in the field of science, not going to be in the field of technology, but it's going to be about ethics of our society and regulation. And this is the biggest problem. And this problem cannot be solved by inventor, investor, or you know, one particular government official. This is our common problem. We need to redefine this world. We need to revise the ethics of our society for us to embrace the idea of longer living. Well, that's why I touched on five um, moral dilemmas of this world, but like some of them are really manifesting itself. Just, well, let's talk about inequality. Inequality gap is increasing year, uh, every year, you know, year by year on earth. Well, this is bad. And I do hope that longevity, a specifically affordable and accessible version of healthcare that we are trying to create, Will, will be unifying themes, uh, theme for the nation uh, or for humanity. So that's one thing. Or the other thing is just our relationship with mother nature. So imagine I'm, I'm 49. I'm, I, I believe I'm going to die in, 70, so in 25 years from now. So I can always say, look, I mean, there's plastic in the ocean. This is bad. But like the next generations will sort it out. This is not my problem. If we're all going to live 100, 120, 150 years, I do hope that this will give us an opportunity to be much more responsible in our relationship with the planet. Because right now you can think, well, okay, I'm not going to face consequences of my own action. Well, it's going to change. Or, you know, all our societal norms, like things like career, retirement, marriage, has been created for the world where the average person has been living for 35 years. Two-thirds of the marriages go through divorce uh, in the first five years, first five to seven years, depending on the country you're looking at, right? Uh, and, you know, we need to be more creative to help people to 
bring mutual responsibility for raising kids rather than going into binary mode like marriage or divorce or career. Can I have as many careers as decades in my life? This whole concept of like full-time employment and full-time retirement is very dangerous. In fact, two most dangerous years of our life is the year of our birth because we still have very, well, relatively high infant mortality and the year of your retirement. Oh, wow. That's wild. Okay. Um, okay. So speaking of the ethics and the problems that might be created from longevity and in taking, needing a paradigm shift, what about the kind of obvious one of overpopulation? Like the, the earth has doubled its population in the last X number of years. If we yeah. all live to 120, it's going to, man, how, how does that get resolved? Or is yeah. it something that we need to think about? I always receive this comment and actually two. One is like, do we have enough resources? And I'm not worried about resources. I do think we, we live in the abundant world. Look at the cost of renewable energy, which decrease exponentially uh, or food, right? 45% of food in the U.S. goes to waste um, every night from supermarkets, our households, restaurants. You know, we have plenty of food on this planet. We're just inefficient uh, and unfair in distribution of that. So coming back to your question, Ben, overpopulation. Um, so if you look at any reliable study which models the population of Earth, so what's going to happen is... This will increase from current almost 8 billion people to 10, 11 billion people by 2050. And then it's going to decrease to 8 again by the end of this century. Why is that? Reproductive rates, which is number of kids per couple or per female, is below 2. And this is your like the normal reproductive rate uh, provided for infant mortality is actually 2.1 kids per couple or per family. Uh, sorry, or per uh, female. Uh, well below two in so many countries. Well, actually, with the exception of African continent, all over the world, it's anywhere between 1.3, 1.5, 1.6. So um, China will lose 600 million people from its population if, it, it, if the world will not respond to this demographic crisis. China's population will gonna, gonna go down from 1.4 billion to 0.8 billion by the end of this century. And same gonna happen with US and all other developed world. So in a way for me, it's not necessarily overpopulation problem, it longevity and extending the productive and healthy part of our life is an opportunity for us to respond to this silver tsunami and demographic uh, crisis. I know it's unconventional. Like if you look at the common sense, I, I also had a lot of worries in this regard, but then you look at the actual science, and the actual reproduction rate all around the world, it's actually more worrying to have less people on the planet by the end of this century. So what's the, uh, in terms of the longevity um, and the kind of like playing out the timeline by the end of the century, um, and you're talking about the near term and the short, uh, the, the near term and the, the, the far term or long term. Um, what's kind of the, the time, <laughs> what's the, Give me the timeline of when this is going to happen. Predict, <laughs> but but that's kind of the question is, um, you know, they're saying like make ninety the new fifty by twenty thirty. Like so, that means in eight years, what does that even mean? Like in nine years, that like ninety year olds are going to be 
um, operating and walking the earth and functionality of a 50 year old? And do you believe that? Or is it more about what you said, which is moving the average in the near term? And then the long term play is the 120, 150, 200 years old. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I'm I'm very responsible guy. So I just, well, let me put it up front. Whatever I promise you today, even if I can promise you, I'm, I'm going to be living, I'm going to break the sound barrier of the maximum lifespan of 122 years. Guys, we all would need to wait for 73 years to check that. Okay. So that's why uh, I'm, gonna, I'm checking, but I'm checking back, Sergey. I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> I'm so, hitting save on this thing. <laughs> of course. So, but then that's why we have this inflation of expectation and, and, and different longevity uh, targets all around the world. So, well, in the end of the day, uh, what I do know, and it's the message of the book, we're all going to be living longer or radically longer. So is it, uh, is it going to apply to our generation? Of course. But like next generation will obviously, will be able to add 30, 50, 70 healthy and happy years to their life. If we, if we talk about someone who is 49 today, well, let's talk, let's use me as an example. In my worst case scenario, it's going to be at least 100 years. So unless you're genetically unlucky, you've been really unlucky in genetic lottery and you have rare genetic disease, it is possible today to live healthy and happy 100 years. Because like what I have in the bonus chapter of the book, it's called 10 Longevity Choices. Um, uh, if, if you follow the lifestyle, I know it's boring stuff. And a lot of people know what to do, but don't uh, it's have not, a discipline it's not, to do it. It's not boring to our audience. That's yeah, of course. This yeah, is but exactly like, that, that last chapter. I actually skipped to the last chapter and read the last chapter first. <laughs> okay, so it's not boring beautiful. stuff. Beautiful. Yeah. I agree with you. And that's why I wrote this book. You know, It's beautiful that in 10, 20 years from now, we'll have the benefit of gene editing, benefit of gene therapy, organ regeneration, longevity and appeal. And, and on top of this, my promised 100 healthy and happy years, we can add 20 and 50 years to that. What is more important for me is how do we stay on longevity bridge today? What are the combination of changes in the diet and lifestyle and access to healthcare and, and uh, medical screening and mental health rituals that we can employ today to live to this 100 healthy and happy years? And I can promise you in the next 20, 30, 50 years, the world's going to be completely different. We're going to stop aging. We'll, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to modify our genes to the extent that it stop or even reverse aging processes inside our body. We'll have something against cancer, whether it's going to be vaccine or genetic modification for human beings, right? Uh, we will have an opportunity to replace hearts and brains. And this is actually two most difficult organs to 3D print or to regrow or to transplant. Uh, so that's the idea. So stay on longevity you know, bridge today. Do this so-called boring stuff, this very you know complex uh, portfolio of different changes in your diet, physical activity, lifestyle, meditation, sleep, annual checkup, you know, using your personalized healthcare devices, like what we call wearables today. Uh, and then in 10, 20 years from now, you know, gene editing breakthroughs, longevity in appeal breakthroughs, precision and preventive medicine breakthroughs will will help us to add more more years. I'm pretty sure the near horizon of longevity technologies, again, 10, 20 years from now, 
will give us an opportunity to live beyond 120 years. But then if you talk about far horizon of longevity, and again, there's so many ethical questions before we can actually use and embrace these technologies like human avatars, internet of bodies, when we're all going to be full of sensors, right? And interconnected in a decentralized network and are similar to internet of things that we're trying to create today. Nanobots inside our body, human brain, AI integration. So this will, we, this will be available on a mass scale to us in the next 25 to 50 years. This is what I call the far horizon of longevity innovation. But like, if we want to live beyond 150 years, it's, it's going to be done with complete redefinition of what human means. It's going to be humans 2.0. It's going to be integration between man and machine. But again, the, the whole condition behind this scenario is that we would need to sort out the ethics of the future. The, like, I'm also scared of the CRISPR babies, right? Of, of in a potential inequality of and a, and a difference in access. Like reach can create like a better vers- version of themselves. And we all ordinary humans are um, going to be suboptimal and subordinate. But again, uh, and the time to talk about the ethics of it is today, not in 25 years from now. Okay, so the far horizon, 20 to 50 years away, that's when we're going to have all this fun stuff of nanorobots and 3D printing of our brains and our hearts and we combine man and machine and all that stuff. Then the goal then becomes, and this is getting to the the goal then becomes be able to live another. So for me and you in our mid 40s, we have to make it there. We have to make it there with as much health and uh, vitality as possible. So let's get into, let's jump to that last little chapter, the actual to-dos today, because these are very, um, it's very much in line with what we talk about all the time in our podcast. So it won't be boring to our audience at all. So you mentioned a whole bunch of them from meditation, positive thinking, um, mindfulness, the way you eat, the way you sleep, um, obviously getting rid of bad habits. What would... um, um, well, why don't I just, why don't, what, what do you think are the big, massive, heavy hitters that we should be paying attention to? Yeah. So, um, in the book, it's called 10 longevity choices, but you know, in the shorter version, I talk about five longevity buckets and, and again, cool. this is all familiar, but this is the beauty of speaking to our audience today that, that these are the people who you know, take care about today and tomorrow, right? Not just, you know, sit at their home, watching TV and waiting for magic bill to arrive in 20 years from now. So I'm always talking about five things and I'm going to be short. So one, and, and this is the most important one, using the benefits of um, annual medical screening. The, the, the level of technology that we have today in MRI, in ultrasound, in, in wearables, in sensors, is just completely different. And we can catch these killer diseases, this cancer, heart disease, diabetes, neurogenerative disease, at such an early stage that you will recover with extremely high probability and the quality of your life going to be the same, right? So that's, that's super important. And, and I'm always saying like the most important day of your life every year is the day of your medical checkup, medical mm-hmm. screening. This is extremely important. Second, and you mentioned this, Ben, already, just don't do stupid things. And, I, and it sounds so obvious, like, and, or you, the polite version of it is called passive longevity. Tobacco smoking, which is, and I'm just looking at, at statistics in Europe, 30% of adult population are still smoking tobacco. So it's not that rare. 
is minus 10 years from your life. It's almost like a cancer lottery with like every cigarette. Uh, using seat belts all the time, plus two years to your life. Um, driving car, but not riding motorcycle. Is, it will make a lot of difference because in a motorcycle accidents is 17 times, one seven times more dangerous and mortal than uh, car accidents. Or then, well, wait for driver's cars to arrive. Driver's cars will decrease mortality from car accidents by another factor of 10, by 10 times. And I can go on and on. I just had my friend. She was climbing K2 mountain in Pakistan this summer. And, and the mortality rate for this mountain across the whole cycle, even the recent, in the recent years, was 25%. So it's just Whoa. one chance out of four to die there. Well, I'm not sure you want to take this risk. Hmm. Okay, so that's the second piece. The third piece is about diet. There's a lot of disagreement in scientific community what actually extends our life today from what is available today. But there is one agreement. Decreasing the calorie intake, decreasing the number of calories that you take every day is a path to longevity. It's, it's actually, if you decrease it by 15 to 25%, I'm pretty sure it's known to our audience. It's, you're going to live two, three, four, five uh, healthy years longer. Well, it's easier to say, but how are you going to do it? So I, I, I use two life hacks on that. One, I'm, I'm, I'm really heavy on vegetables because vegetables they much less intense in terms of the calories. Even if, if I have like half of the table full of vegetables for me, for my dinner, I'm still going to be fine in terms of my calories. Uh, you don't need to be religious in terms of like becoming vegan. This is your choice. But like going really plant-based, right? Heavily there is, is great. Second, I do fasting. I, like I fast 36 hours every week. Monday evening to Wednesday morning. You don't need to be so radical. You can try the window fasting. I'm pretty sure, Ben, I mean, you personally, and you had a lot of guests explaining the miracle of fasting and different fasting routines like um, intermediate fasting as well. And obviously taking out all the sugar, unnecessary sugar, like a sugar drinks, etc., uh, which is not really helpful. Number four is physical activity. Yeah, and, and we have this binary view, like we, we t it's a typical human, it's either one or zero. I'm either sitting at home and like watching sport on TV, or, you know, I need to run a marathon, or I need to become an Iron Man or Iron Woman. Uh, use your wearables to count 10,000 steps a day, and this is at least 50 or 65% or of your agenda physical activity agenda for every day. And if you want to bring something on top of that, this is great. Like I'm doing yoga, I'm doing Pilates, I'm doing cardio. I mean, you can make your own choices, but what is more important is just keep walking. 10,000 steps a day, great. And number five, well, this is very interesting. Number five is called peace of mind. It's about the importance of mental health and, and the harmony and happiness in this life. Every time and look at this. Every time we talk about health and longevity, we tend to talk about we tend to talk about physical health. But like there is something which is very related to that, which is mental health. I, I don't want you know all these extra years on Earth if if these years are really unhappy years. So for me, it's sleep. And I, after reading Matthew Walker and Why We Sleep book, I, I completely reconsider my view on sleep. My rule is eight hours in the bed, 
which is seven hours of sleep. And obviously I, I do a lot of, I use a lot of tracking devices to measure my sleep quality. Second is meditation and mindfulness, just decreasing your cortisol level, the stress hormone level inside your body is extremely important. And a final piece of that, of the fifth bucket of peace of mind is just be a better person, be kind, uh, give more than you take, uh, become a better version of yourself, help others to succeed and uh, be happy. Well, that's, that's the important part of uh, living longer. Cool. I love it. That's the, uh, so medical screening, don't do stupid stuff, nutrition, diet, um, physical activity, and then um, peace of mind, whether that's uh, um, taken from sleep or meditation, but basically lowering stress overall. That'll, those will be found, sound very familiar to our listeners. We have a similar bucketing practice. Um, we don't have the don't do stupid shit thing. That would be a good one for us <laughs> to add into it. Uh, um, with that, so those are the very practical and, um, but then there's this, so our audience is probably a little bit, um, the first one you talked about is like the doctors We're we're kind of like anti pharmaceutical. We're kind of anti big drug. We're anti big food in general. I'm speaking for very generalities here. Yeah. But there seems to be this kind of like massive new wave of really um, powerful pharmaceuticals that are coming along. So whether it's uh, like um, the way that they've kind of um, commercialized uh, rapamycin, metformin, yeah. um, MNN, ND, NAD. Can you speak yeah. to what these things are, um, yeah. where we would get them, where they fit in the picture of the whole thing? I can. So when I talk about longevity and appeal in, um, in 10, 20 years from now, within the near horizon of longevity, this is the place for longevity drugs. And you're right, metformin, rapamycin are the candidates to become a longevity drugs for uh, many of us. Well, having said that, we still need to test them as longevity drugs because they currently work for a completely different disease or combination of diseases. So longevity is hopefully a potential positive side effect of that. As well as our audience, I'm not a big fan of pharmaceutical solution to longevity because the problem is, and I, I, I think it was just in US, probably in July, uh, the new drug uh, which helps you to lose weight uh, has been approved. So like imagine the big food produces this food, processed food, which is dangerous for your body, you know, feeds you, you know, earn money from that. And then big pharma give you the yeah. new drug so yeah. you can fight your obesity. This is the evolutionary nightmare for me. Okay. Right. And well, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of change in healthcare and change in our, you know, health overall coming from the old players. I actually do believe that in 10 years from now, the largest healthcare companies on earth, whether you like it or not, going to be called Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. I have my own kind of view on the, uh, you know, too big a role of the big tech in our life. But I do believe that change will come, change in healthcare will come from new players disrupting this whole old industry. Because look at U.S. U.S. has the most inefficient uh, and most expensive healthcare um, sector uh, and system uh, on the planet within developed countries. We spend 18% of GDP 
on uh, on healthcare, while UK is spending 8%, Singapore is spending 5%. But you know what? Singapore and UK is much higher in the rating of lifespan and health span and in this world. So change will come. And, and, and in 10, 20 years from now, it's going to be much more technolo- technological and data-driven version of healthcare. That's why I'm, I'm wearing a lot of wearables, right? Personalized healthcare devices and sensors, because I do believe the future is in this field. So you, you mentioned it there, I think you just said it kind of like in passing, but I want to like pull it out a little bit, which is you said um, lifespan and um, health span. It's what we've been talking about, kind of this whole thing. Again, it goes back to this idea that it's not longer um, decrepitude. It's you're living your prime lives, your prime life longer. Um, for that to happen, there are the unlucky few that have the, you know, the 30, 40% that have like the gene, the bad genes. But then from there, it's, it seems to be not so much about, you know, it's like when the, they map the human genome and that massive project that took 13 years and X billions of dollars. And everyone was really excited when that happened. And all of a sudden, they, it, it kind of went really quiet because like, what do we do with this? And it seems like, and I'm, I'd love for you to expand upon this. It's not so much about the genome. It's about the epigenome. It's about how you play your cards. It's about the environment you put yourself in. And that's why your five buckets, your 10 things to do, because that helps express the genes that you inherit in the right way and flip the right switches and send the right signals. Um, am, I, am I on the right track with the difference between the, the genome and the epigenome? Is it the, is the epigenome is within our control, um, but the genome is kind of like the cards you were dealt? Yes, uh, you're right, Ben. And uh, really roughly, in very simple terms, your longevity and health is 30 to 40% predetermined by your genetic setup. And, but for uh, 60 to 70%, it's totally under your control. Well, that's, that's a big that's, number. That's, yeah, yeah that's, that, it's a huge number. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm telling that, you know, look at where you are in, in the decision-making cycle uh, which is, uh, which surrounds your health today. We delegated hundred percent of decisions to other parties and they have conflict of interest, right? In a good and a bad way to big pharma, big food, regulators, insurance companies, healthcare providers, right? I'm not saying all of us would need to become medical doctors because this is just a lot of hard work, right? and a big mission to become a doctor. But like, we just need to be part of this discussion. I just, I, I, I happened to speak to a good friend of mine from California uh, last week. So she went to, uh, to see a doctor and um, he told her, okay, well, uh, this is all clear. I send the prescription to the pharmacy. You'll get the drugs from there. So her question was like, can you just give me the name of the drug and like, what is the purpose of this drug? What is the side effect? How does it call? And, and the doctor was a little bit pissed off saying like, you don't trust me? You know, just believe me, it's a good drug. I mean, it's exactly for your case. This is how far we went in terms of disengaging from, you know, being part of, or, you know, having our voice in, uh, in health-related decisions. That's why specifically post-COVID, it's time for renewal for all of us. And again, the main message of my book, we're all going to be living longer. And then it's really up to you, to all of us, to decide. 
Are we in a driving seat to manage our health agenda, family agenda, financial agenda, career agenda, right? The happiness agenda, or we just victims of what is happening and, and the life which, you know, and decisions which is made by other people, sometimes with a conflict of interest. So we're going to, um, we, we take control of our agenda. Um, we do the five buckets as best we can. We make it towards that that far horizon and all of a sudden this really cool fun stuff starts happening. You speak about this longevity escape and this potential for biological immortality. So this is like, if people, if we've already lost people already, <laughs> get ready. Cause this is going to be uh, the, the potential to, of living forever. What? Like, <laughs> okay. Um, can you, what is the longevity escape? Um, and what is biological immortality? Yeah. Uh, so longevity escape velocity is this very simple kind of framework or logic that it's going to be at certain point of time within our evolution. Uh, if you live for like a year, within this year, the, the pace of technological development, scientific discoveries will be enough to add another year to your lifespan. Okay. So it's almost like, you know, for it, well, it's, it's not going to be on an annual basis. I do believe it's going to be every like three, five or 10 years, but uh, this is not impossible. Uh, obviously, as every framework, it's just simplification. It's just to tell you the paradigm of our life and the opportunity and chances and, and, and optionality of us extending the healthy and happy portion of our life going to be completely different. Uh, and who knows? I mean, it can be available to us in the next 20 uh, plus years. But like, well, let's, let's talk immortality. Well, few things. One, I'm not a big fan of immortality. I actually hate the idea of immortality because I do think if you take out the death from the human life cycle, we're not going to be humans. It's going to be a completely different creature. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to be that. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, the other piece is just this, this whole belief, like, it's going to be just one day when you decide, yeah, I want to be immortal, and then you're immortal, right? First of all, you still you can still be hit by a bus, okay? Uh, thought you can actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, do create another version of yourself in a virtual environment, uh, but that's a separate discussion. So um, it's never going to be like your decision for the whole life, even if this is a mortal life, it's always going to be within the context of longevity, escape velocity, like every five to 10 years, you will need to make a decision whether you want to be living in this world for another five to 10 years. And that's, that's actually another ethical problem because in, in the current society and in, uh, in, in the current ethical norms, it's, it's called playing God or even can be called suicide if you decide to kind of stop living and not to use this optionality. And frankly speaking, like if you ask me, I'm not even sure I'll have a, like a bravery inside to make this decision. So there's, there's so many questions around that. But like before we, and, and this, again, this is it's typical humans. We just, we think about the problem that we're going to face in 50 or 100 years from now. And then we just try like debate that. Well, let's just concentrate on saving people's life, helping people who are genetically ill, genetically sick and we sick and we haven't been able to help them through the whole history of evolution. They died in the age of one, three, five, 15, 17 years, right? And they suffered a lot in this life. Well, let's just concentrate on them. Let's look at 
brain-computer interface as an opportunity to help people who suffer from dementia, from neurogenerative disease. I don't know if you watch a movie called The Father with Anthony Hopkins. It's it's really recent movie. I think it's won Oscar. The whole movie is done with, through the eyes of the person who's suffering from uh, neurogenerative disease, from dementia. This is awful. This is heartbreaking movie. I want to help these people. And if it takes Elon Musk and Neuralink and uh, integration between you know computer and brain, but if, if this will make them happy and essential and beautiful part of their family, not asset, not an obligation for the loved ones, I'm all for it. So, well, let's just focus on what we can change, what we can use for benefit of humanity and benefit of people around us. And then we'll sort out the immortality point when we'll reach it. We're not going to do it in the next 50 years anyway. Sergey, starting start to wrap up one question for you. It strikes me that one of the challenges that you have, that this idea has, that the companies that you work with has, is getting people to understand that the things they do today matter in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years now, 75 years, right? We, it's clear that people already struggle making decisions today based on what it's going to, what's going to happen in five years, right? We've got a lot of people, we've talked about diet and exercise, a lot of people just not doing that. And we're not even talking about, well, you're going to be around potentially for 150 years. And so how much do you think about the challenge of getting people to understand one, what's going to be possible, but also getting them to take actions today so that they can be around so that they can be thriving when those opportunities become real and actually are, 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 um, within, within their grasp. How do you start to get people to make decisions today so that they're around then? Uh, great question, Patrick. This is the most difficult question in my life. This is the biggest problem I'm trying to solve. And uh, I'm still haven't been able to find the answer to that number of things. One, this whole near and far horizon of longevity has been created to get people excited about the future with a little hope that this will give them more motivation to start changes today. So that's one. This whole Sergey Yan trying to live 200 years is to shock you guys. And so, and then I, when I have your attention span, so I can feed you with all this, what I call boring stuff, which is not boring stuff, with, you know, these five longevity buckets that you can do today. So that's just another trick that I use, okay? Mm. Uh, then it's obviously it's the beauty of technology, like apps, uh, wearables. Uh, they do help us to live uh, healthier. Uh, there's, um, I just uh, I had a discussion with Adrian Gore, the founder of Vitality UK, and I, I, I do know they have insurance partners in the U.S. as well. They just give people uh, Apple Watch or whatever the wearables you want to use. And they give you like a program to follow every day, every week, and every month, right? You, you couldn't imagine, you know, how many positive changes in their lifestyle and, and in their mm -hmm. health people do for like one free uh, coffee from Starbucks every week if you completed all the circles on your Apple Watch, <laughs> two tickets yep. to cinema every two weeks, and reduction of your uh, Apple Watch cost on a monthly basis for the, like, if you complete your monthly aim, this is just amazing. Well, that's why I'm actually, I'm not working only on the individual level, right? This is what we're discussing today. I'm working with corporations, pro bono, I have zero commercial agenda to implement the program called longevity at work. And I'm so happy after this book has been published, I had a, 
question from Amazon and Facebook saying, well, Sergey, what are you doing in this field? So this is very simple pro uh, program to implement all these five buckets, but in the corporate environment. Because if you spend a few hours on the plant or in the factory or in your office, there's a very high chance that if we create this longevity enabling environment, we replace everything in the vending machine. We give you more plant-based options, right? We give you, you know, opportunity to visit gym. We have walk-in meetings, right? You have free access to the mental health app. Well, this is, this is the beauty of you know, the corporate change. And the largest program I've done was the corporation uh, of 300,000 people in 20 plus countries. And I also like to work with governments, but looking at governments as a, as a change agent for, uh, to bring the healthier version of our life uh, is not been really successful for me because government is always busy with things which is urgent and important. And our health has always been important, but never urgent, probably with the exception of mm -hmm. 2020 and COVID. And that's, this is my problem with working with governments to change the lifestyle of all of us. All right, Sergey, we want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much uh, for your work. Thank you so much for the book and certainly for your time today. Where is the best place other than doing a quick Google search to find the book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young? Where can people find more about you, about your work, and um, what, what might be coming down the road uh, for you? Uh, so the easiest way to connect is to go to sergeyyoung.com and sign up for our newsletters. We have an amazing offer. If you bought the book, you, you'll get an access to... Uh, free longevity video academy, which is 12 videos, 10 minutes each. So that's uh, that's an amazing. Um, it's not even a product. We're not selling it. We're just you know, doing this as a gift. Um, it's Instagram. It's Facebook. It's uh, Sergey Young 200. Remember 200 years. Uh -huh. <laughs> but otherwise, like the biggest present that you can give to me is just starting change your uh, start changing your life and your lifestyle and take back control and responsibility for your own health today of that thank you sir uh thank you everybody out there for listening for your ratings and your reviews they do help new folks find the show and ben and i will be back for another episode of chasing excellence next week you can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.